And so far, we've talked about honesty, we've talked about um, making friends, how to treat those friends well, and th those are some of the most important lessons we've ever learned. I was talking to people uh, about it yesterday. They were asking what we were talking about um, today. You know, these are some of the most important things we've ever learned. You know, Andy read a short verse for us, and we call it the golden rule, right? But Jesus says, that's it. That sums up the law and the prophets right there. You only need a couple of seconds to do it to sum up everything we are supposed to know. And so these are some of the most important lessons we've ever learned. These are lessons that are ingrained into us when we were kids. But I think if we look back to how we learned those lessons when we were young, we may realize we understood them a little bit differently than the teachers did. A, a Sunday school teacher um, was telling her class the story of the Good Samaritan. A man was uh, beaten, he was robbed, he was left for dead, and she described the, the situation um, in vivid detail uh, so that her students would get the, the full impact, all the drama of this story. And, and then she asked her class, if you saw a person lying on the roadside, all wounded and bleeding, what would you do? class was silent. Finally, a, a thoughtful little girl, girl raised her hand. She said, I think I'd throw up. <laughs> and that little girl, she looked at the story a little bit differently than most of us do. When we think of the story of the Good Samaritan, that's not generally the first thing that comes to our mind. We tend to focus less on the man in the ditch and more on the Good Samaritan that helped him. The Good Samaritan is supposed to be a feel-good story. Shouldn't make us want to throw up. That's not what comes to our mind. It's a story of kindness and mercy, and we'd all like to think we would behave just like the Samaritan did. We can all put ourselves in his shoe, but we don't. And maybe it's because we have been focusing on the wrong character. We don't act like the good Samaritan. It's because we've been too focused on him. You know, last week we talked about the parable where the son went and he squandered his inheritance, right? And he finally came home. And what do we normally call that parable? The parable of the prodigal son, right? We focus on the prodigal son. He is the one who comes home. We want to come home. But we see in that parable that Jesus talks just as much about the father and the brother. And we can learn from those characters as well. And the same thing is coming true here in the parable of the Good Samaritan. We see the same thing. We tend to focus on one character, that Samaritan, but Jesus tells us about multiple, and they're all important, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. This is what Jesus said, just to refresh our memory on what Jesus told um, this certain lawyer. It says in verse 25 of Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 10, a certain lawyer stood up, and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit an eternal life? Pretty important question. He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I know I'm supposed to treat my neighbor well, but who is he? Then in verse 30, Jesus answered and said, 
A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. And so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. In my office, I have pages and pages of stories of churches and college campuses, other places that try to reenact this story. You know, some preacher comes in, he sits outside the, the building uh, in ragged clothes, asking for, for assistance, asking for money, uh, giving the appearance of a, a man down on his luck. In each of those incidents, the moral of the story, what happens? No one goes to help. Everybody walks by. No one pays attention, even in places where the whole purpose of us being here is to show mercy as our Father has shown mercy. Time and time again, we see we don't show that mercy, and it shouldn't be too unexpected. The Bible tells us God's kind of kindness does not come naturally to us. It's not our default setting. It's just not a natural thing we exhibit. Galatians 5 tells us that the fruits of the Spirit include kindness, right, uh, among others. And then this is something that we develop over time when we become Christians. But Romans 3.12 tells us all have turned away. They have, come, or they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. I changed that word up there because the literal word is kind. It's the same Greek word as what we find in Galatians 5.22, not even one. There is no one who is good. There is no one who is kind naturally. And so the Bible teaches us there's no one who does kind things naturally. In fact, Christians are urged that even once we become Christians, we have to keep seeking more kindness in our lives because we don't always succeed at this. Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. And we learn this when we are kids that we need to be kind. But if you've been driving on 465 recently, you'll know some of us adults, we need a lesson in kindness too. We do not exhibit kindness Naturally, and the Bible says the, the only way we can learn to be kind is through God. No one else does this naturally all the time. Now, that's not to say that there aren't many people out there who do kind things. It's just that the world doesn't understand kindness the same way God understands kindness. Jesus told us how God thinks about kindness. What did he say? Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them Likewise, in Luke 6.31, or as Matthew records it for us, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, in Matthew 7.12. You know, we've all heard it. It's the principle behind the Good Samaritan. We call it the golden rule because uh, that Roman emperor, right, Alexander Severus, he had this written on, 
a wall in his chambers in gold, and he said that this was a good rule, that everyone should follow it. He, he spread it around the Roman Empire, and a lot of people think this is a good rule to follow, but sometimes we think we know this rule so well that we don't really look at this. We, we grow up with it, but it's easy to lose our focus on what it means. Now, even if we fail to be kind sometimes, most people agree kindness has its benefits. I think, you know, when you go into the schools, they've got those uh, virtues that they hang up on flags. I, I know when I grew up, J.B. Stevens, they had the, these flags that had virtues on them that they wanted everybody to embody. And these weren't necessarily Christian virtues. They were just virtues that were going to help you in life. And kindness is almost always among those. People see the benefit of being kind. You know, Christianity is far from the only faith that asks its adherents to be kind. And I remember, I, I think, well, my parents are here today, so they, I, I wrote in here, it was in my chiropractor's office, but I wasn't sure if it was actually there. But there, I found this sign um, that compared Jesus' golden rule uh, with the wise sayings of other people who lived before him. Confucius, the 500 years before Jesus, said, do not unto others what you would not wish done to yourself. Buddhists have a saying, putting oneself in the place of others, kill not, nor cause to kill. Hinduism and the Mahabharata, I love being able to say that word, do not unto others which could cause you pain if done to you. So there you have it. There is incontrovertible proof that others said the same thing before Jesus did, that this isn't anything unique to him. Hundreds of years before he did, people understood the need to be kind. People were striving for kindness. People were teaching kindness. But of course, we know this isn't exactly the same thing. Each of those phrases from the others has one word in common. They keep saying, do not. Do not do this. Do not kill. Do not do things that you wouldn't want done to you. Do, or do not do things um, that would hurt you if they were done to you. Over and over again, those ancients were saying, do not not be kind. Do not not be kind. But Jesus always said, just be kind. Do it. Do and not don't. They said don't. Jesus said do. That is the significant, uh, significant def difference between God's concept of kindness in the world. You know, evangelist told all the time when uh, he was a boy, he came home and his mother had found a, a man at a mall, brought him home, and he looked like he needed some help, and, and she offered to help him. He brought her home, and it got him some food and some clothes. During the conversation, a man said, I wish there were more people like you in the world. And the mother humbly said, well, there are. There's lots of people who are kind in the world. You just have to look for them. But the man said, that might be true, but I didn't have to go looking for you. You came looking for me. That is the difference between God's kind of concept and the world's. The world says, just leave people alone. Don't hurt them. Don't abuse them. Of course we're supposed to do that. Jesus says, do something for them. Go looking for them. The world figures kindness is just about going about your own business and not hurting anybody, but God's kindness is the type that goes looking for you. But now that we've said all that, aren't there people who do this? They don't know Christ. There's people who are kind. There's people who go looking to help other people. Of course there are. They aren't necessarily Christians, not necessarily religious people. In Bloomington, there is a 
big campaign. It was called Good Without God, and they had uh, bumper stickers, and they, they put up signs on the side of the buses and billboards, radio ads. They had it all to try to say you could be moral, you could be kind, you could be good without believing in God. And if you thought long and hard enough about it, you realize there are some kind people. There are some nice people out in the world who do not trust their lives to God. But here's the difference. Look at Luke 6.27. This is that context that we find the golden rule in. And it says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the others also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. And then in verse 32, But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. You know, notice, when Jesus is talking about kindness, and he's saying this golden rule, he's not talking about being kind in general. He's not talking about the kindness that the world wants, the kindness that they think is going to get them ahead in the world, that it's going to give others a good impression of them. No, Jesus says even the people who are beating you, even the people who are spitefully abusing you, who hate you, who curse you, who mistreat you, treat them as you want to be treated. But why on earth would I want to love my enemies? Why would I want to be kind to my enemies? There's a reason they're that. It's not just because uh, I'm being petty. They've hurt me. They've abused me. I don't like them. And if I don't like them, how can I possibly love them? And so inherently, Jesus' command seems illogical. It's irrational. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't come naturally to most of us. As one person said, it's easy to be an angel when no one is ruffling your feathers. You know, we can be kind to good people. We can be kind to people who are kind to us. That's easy. Anyone can do that. Jesus said even sinners do that. But what credit is it to them? God's type of kindness is the kind that reaches out to the mean spirit of the world. And it was important for Jesus to make us understand that. In the old Soviet Union, there, there are very few rules about polluting the water. Factories, they didn't have very many uh, regulations on what they had to do. Uh, one of the few things, they didn't have very many regulations on polluting their water. And it was for good reason. They only had one rule for factories on how they could pollute their water. So they said, if you were going to put anything out into water, you had to put it out before your intake valve, before the water went in. So everything that comes out of your factory will come back in eventually before it pollutes the water downstream. And eventually, they realized, we're not going to put out anything that's going to be too harmful because it's just going to hurt us first. What would happen if every 
careless word we said, every careless deed we did would be returned to us almost immediately. Wouldn't that change the way we act? But we know that's not the way it works. We can get away with things. We can be cruel. We can mistreat. We can not go out of our way to be kind to people, and that isn't going to affect us immediately. And so we keep doing it. We don't understand the consequence long-term of our actions, but short-term, we think it's just fine. And when we think of the story of the Good Samaritan, we don't see ourselves as that half-dead man on the road. We don't see ourselves ever in the position of being downstream of anyone's actions. We see ourselves as the Samaritan, as the Savior, as the one who comes up and is able to bestow kindness on other people, never the one who needs that kindness bestowed upon us. We don't think of the blood and the guts of that half-dead man that made that little girl want to throw up. It's not easy for us to put ourselves in his shoes. And because we focus so heavily on that one character of the Samaritan and we identify with him, we say, you know what, I want to act more like him. It's harder for us to understand why he was so kind. So let's be clear. Jesus didn't tell this story just so we would be nicer people. That's a moral we can get out of it, and it's an important one. But he didn't tell us this just so we would know that we need to show kindness. We aren't saved because we're nice. Jesus saved us because we're sinners, period. As Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or as we read just a few verses earlier in Romans 3.12, there is no one who is kind, naturally. We aren't saved because we were the good Samaritan. We aren't saved because we were the most kind person in the world. We were saved because Jesus loved us. That means you were a sinner when Jesus saved you, and so was I. And when we became Christians, God called us to leave that sinful lifestyle behind that Paul described this way. For we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days away in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Titus 3.3 We were not the Good Samaritan before. We were filled with malice and envy. We were hating one another. We were the guy in the ditch. We were half dead and needing help. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. We were merciful. Maybe we were at some point. Maybe we were kind occasionally. That wasn't our natural state. That's not what we are doing naturally. But now we have something that we can grow with. Our Father showed me mercy when I desperately needed it. I was half dead, but he sent his son so I could have life. And now that we become God's children, God tells us he wants us to show that love to others, to people who might not have anyone else who can love them, to show a a radical kindness to everyone, even our enemies. And if God's love was to bring us to salvation. That was the point of it, right? That is what our love should do as well. You know, I read an article that compared um, in World War II and Vietnam how much money it took to kill a a single enemy combatant. For World War II, it was about 200,000. For uh, Vietnam, it was about 500,000. 
By contrast, the article said, to send a foreign missionary in each of those fields to save a soul overseas was only about $654. That's a pretty big discount. What would it take if instead of hurting our enemies, we showed them Christ? What if instead of trying to destroy not just our uh, nation's enemies, but our personal enemies as well, instead of trying to destroy their lives, we took the effort to go and tell them about the love that Jesus has shown us? You know, if we are God's missionary here, it might have cost $654 to get a missionary across the seas, but if we're a missionary here in our family, in our neighborhood, in our factory, whatever, the cost to us is zero, zip, zero, nada. We can think of enemies in our neighborhood, in our families, in the places where we work. How many of you can think of an enemy in your life? Someone who's mistreated you, who's cursed you, who's made you feel bad about yourself? Wow, we've got really high self-esteem here. There's no enemies. Okay, there's one. Two, Zora's got one. Sora's got a whole slew of them. <laughs> Stay away from her. <laughs> How many of you have ever been hurt by anyone else ever in your life? Can you see the genius of God's plan here? We all have enemies. God said, you're the missionary to them. You're the one to go and show them a radical kindness that they aren't expecting. If you go up to someone who's already kind to you, and you try to tell them that you want to be kind to them, they're going to be like, of course. But if you go up to your enemy, and everyone's got one, you go up to that enemy and say, you know what, I love you. I want to show you the kindness and the mercy that God has shown me. That is going to have an impact, and it costs us nothing, almost. And it's not entirely true. It does cost us something. We risk a lot in doing this. We risk being ridiculed and insulted, maybe even hurt by those people. That's the cost of being willing to rescue someone who is our enemy. But God loved us while we were his enemy so that he could save us, and now God calls us to do the same. And to me, that's worth the cost. So how do I go about loving my enemies, and how do I do this in a way that, that makes sense? It seems illogical to the world. Jesus told us his, his battle plan. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's our gauge. That's how we mark our progress. When we go up to our enemy, that is how we are to treat them. And that isn't just great advice from Jesus on how to be kind in our lives. This is a battle cry for the church. This golden rule was intended by God to be our battle plan on how we show love to our enemies and how, by extension, we show the love of God to them. Garrison Keillor said it this way, do unto others who don't like you as you would have them do to unto you, and you know they won't. Do this before you can do the devious deed to you, or they can do the devious deed to you, and that they would do if given the chance. Shame them with goodness, kill them with kindness, cut their throats with courtesy. Find your enemy, the one who's ready, quite literally, to stab you in the back, and show them kindness. Show them love. There's a cost to that. It might hurt you but show them the kindness that God has shown you because you were an enemy of God too. In other words, do what they would not do for you. Why? Because that is the last thing that they are going to expect. They expect you to play the game that they're playing. And a lot of times we can't win at that game. 
We're not going to succeed. But by doing good for them, you throw them off their game. You know, kindness is probably the most effective tool Christians have in our toolbox. It, it has a, a significant impact on the people around us because Romans 3.12 says it is not the natural thing to do. No one else knows how to do this without God. It's so important to God for us to, to polish this tool, to use it effectively. And that's what the Bible teaches us, that no matter how we're treated, kindness is to be our watchword. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as Christ God forgave you. you know, this is the tool that we have to go into the world, and it's the tool that is illustrated by what Christ did for us. We should know this. This should be thoroughly ingrained in who we are. But it's not. You know, we're sitting here in this room, and we, we had that illustration at the beginning where, you know, the, the preachers go up and, and they sit outside the building um, dressed in old clothes and no one comes up to them. We know sometimes Christians, we fail to be kind. We fail to understand this. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it's the religious people who ignore the man in the ditch. Luke 10, 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. These were religious people. They were in the synagogue probably every Sabbath day. They, they faithfully gave a tithe of all they earned. They studied the scriptures religiously. In fact, they probably had more scripture memorized than any of us do in this room, and yet they passed on the other side of the road. They ignored the man in need. Being religious does not guarantee that we will be nicer people. It's not a behavior that will make you kind. It can help, but it won't necessarily change how you and I behave. In Galatians 5, we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on, Galatians 5.22. And what does that mean? It means that the more of God's Spirit I have in my life, the more or in my life, the more I rely on the Holy Spirit, the more I will exhibit His joy, the more His peace will rule in my life, the more patient I'll be with others, and the kinder I'm going to be to my enemies, to those who mistreat me. You know, the kinder we are, the more like Christ we become, and the more like Christ we become, the kinder we become. It's not about going through the motions of what we consider religion. James tells us pure and faultless religion is what? Taking care of the orphans and widows in their need. Jesus touched the ugly and the deformed that no one else wanted to touch. Jesus showed compassion even for his enemies on the cross. Father, forgive them. That's the type of kindness and mercy that God wants us to show others. And it's a, a kind of kindness and mercy that other people aren't expecting. You know, an interesting thing I learned uh, from a commentary on this story in the Greek, the word Christ is Christos, right? We've probably seen that before. And the word for kindness is Christos, with an E. Just one letter difference. And one man commented that in the first century, the believers were so kind, many people did not know whether their title was follower of Christ or follower of kindness. You know, being religious won't always make us kind people. Being kind won't make us religious. But when we walk in his spirit, when we try to treat others the way Jesus treated us, the people will know who we belong to. Shortly after the Korean War ended, a night watchman 
found this little boy seeking shelter in the streets. And he said, go down to this house on the end of the road and say, John 3.16. So the little boy, he went down to the house. He knocked on the door. He didn't understand the, the strange words that fell from his lips, but he said, John 3.16. The lady smiled and invited him into the home. And the boy thought, I don't know what this John 3.16 is, but it sure makes a cold Korean boy warm. And seeing that boy was hungry, the kind lady brought him a, a bowl of hot soup. And as he ate, the boy thought again, I don't know what this John 3.16 is, but it sure makes a hungry Korean boy full. And after a nice bath and, and putting on some clean pajamas, he went down into the, into the bed and he had tears flowing from his cheeks. I don't know what this John 3.16 is, he thought, but it sure makes a strange lady love a lonely Korean boy. In John 3.16, Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I am here, I am alive, because God showed me mercy. God showed me love. He was kind to me. I'm not here because I am the Good Samaritan. And I'm not here because I was naturally kind. I was the man dying in the ditch. And it was because Jesus was kind to me, and I don't have to perish. John, of course, continues recording what Jesus said that day, writing, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And without Jesus, we are dying. We are condemned already. But we don't have to be. And the principle of the story of the Good Samaritan is to do to others what you want done to you. That is God's concept of kindness, and it is what he was willing to show to us. And I told you this verse was called the Golden Rule because Emperor Alexander Severus, he had it written on his wall in gold. But what I didn't tell you is Severus, he was never a Christian. That's too early on in Roman history. He never followed Christ. He never obeyed him. He never truly understood what kindness was. He went throughout the empire and he said, this is a wonderful rule that everyone should follow. But he didn't really understand it. You know, there are lots of people out there who want to be kind. Lots of people out there who do incredibly kind things. There's no doubt that kindness is good and there are people who are doing it. We learned that on the playground. But that golden rule, it sums up that God had all that God has commanded us, and it will transform our lives if we follow it. We know that. Kindness is important. One of the morals of the Good Samaritan is that we are kind. That's not the only moral. Trying to follow this rule all alone will fail. Trying to be the Good Samaritan all alone will fail. We started out as the man in the ditch. Romans 3 says that there is no one who is kind naturally. We may be able to do some kind things sometimes, but without Christ, it's going to end up empty. God's type of kindness, it doesn't just make sense until we realize we weren't the Good Samaritan, we were the man half dead, and Christ loved us enough to show us kindness and mercy. So if you're here this morning and you need help, you're in the ditch and you realize you're dying. Christ is ready to come and bandage your wounds to offer you rest and peace from the damage sin has caused in your life, believe in him. Let yourself be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. Turn over your life to Christ. If we can help you do that this morning, that's why we're here. So come forward as we stand.